welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, February 11th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, a message titled, Jesus Sacrificially Interceding for All the Saved. It was his worst day. And it was his best day. The young Christian Stephen, one of the deacons of the early church, had been arrested. He had been arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin council simply because he was sharing Jesus with people in the city. And they didn't like that. And as he was called before this same council that had condemned Jesus to die, Stephen also was condemned because he preached Jesus to them. And he had the boldness to say, you are the ones who betrayed and murdered the just one, the Messiah. And with that, they rushed upon him, Acts chapter 7 says, and they pushed him out to the outside of the city and they began to stone him. But that's when his day became his best day. Because in that moment, he looked up and the Bible says that he saw heaven open and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What made Stephen's day the best day, even though it was the worst day, was that he looked up and he saw Jesus. And you and I need to do the same thing. To get through the difficulties of our life, we need to see Jesus. And the book of Hebrews shows us the same glimpse into heaven that Stephen had. As we've gone through the book of Hebrews, we've seen different glimpses into heaven. We're in chapter 7 today, and today we see yet another picture of Christ and what he is doing in heaven. And what he is doing makes all the difference in our life down here below. And when we see that, it encourages us. It strengthens us. And so what is Jesus doing in heaven now? The book of Hebrews shows us that Jesus is sitting on the throne. Why is he seen sitting there, but Stephen saw him standing? I think it's because he was standing to uh, honor Stephen. He was standing to get ready to welcome Stephen into his presence. That's where Stephen was headed. And that's where you and I are headed as well. So Jesus is on the highest throne in heaven, highest place of authority, and from there he is doing everything else that he does. He is serving the needs of saints. He is sanctifying the servants of God. He is satisfying the surrender. He is the surrendered. He is sympathizing with sufferers and sinners. He is supplying sacrifices for redeemed sinners. And then we're going to see this seventh picture today from chapter 7, and that is he is sacrificially interceding for all the saved. 
if you're saved, Jesus is praying for you. And that's what makes all of the difference. Here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says it very clearly. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So as Jesus is living, as he is living in heaven today, he is always making intercession for his people. And as long as he's alive, and that will be forever, he's going to do that. And so you and I are empowered by that, we're encouraged by that, we're guided by that, and we need to see this picture very clearly. I want to show you four features of Christ's ministry of prayer from the surrounding verses here in chapter 7 of Hebrews. And the first feature is that Christ's prayers are permanent. Verses 20 through 22 make the statement that the priest in the Old Testament were temporary, but Christ now has a different ministry. He has a permanent ministry. He's been promised that he will be a priest forever. Verse 20 says, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests, that is in the Old Testament, without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, continuing but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus is up on high. He is praying for believers, and he will always be up on high, and he will always be praying for believers. These two points are contrasted in these verses. Number one, that dying priests in the Old Testament temporarily prayed for God's people, but they could not continue because of death. And so there was a long line of priests, and their priesthood was temporary, and it was not able to give us eternal benefit. Now that has passed away, and that has been replaced with something better. And what is better is in the New Testament where there is one priest, one high priest, who is living forever, and he is always praying for us in heaven. That's what the priest did. When you look at the temple and what was all there, and there really wasn't a whole lot there, but each piece meant so much. And there was a peace that as you came into the temple, as you walked straight into the presence of God, you walked straight into an altar of prayer. It's called the altar of incense. And it was always burning. It was always lifting up incense. And that was symbolic of the prayers of God's people and of the priest that was going up right before God's presence. As the priest came into the temple, there was an altar outside the doors. And they first had to offer a burnt offering for sin before they would enter those doors. And so aren't you glad that you live in the New Testament? You didn't have to stop at the doors outside today and take care of business out there before you could come in. Or did you? 
Spiritually, that's the only way that we can come into God's house and really participate. That's the picture. Unless you have your sins redeemed, you can come in and you can sit, and everyone's welcome to come in and sit. Would the whole world would be in here today hearing about Jesus, and they're welcome to come in, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like. We have open doors because the gospel is open to everyone, and so we want them to hear it preached. But not everyone who comes in and takes a seat and even sings a song or gives an offering or says amen really participates in what's going on in God's house. Because if they're not saved, they can go through the motions, but they're really not connected with the one who we worship here today. And there is no connection with him. And there is no uh, blessing that comes from him on the person that is not saved. But he, he wants that. And that's why he's drawing people to himself. But you have to come by way of the altar. You had to be cleansed of your sin, and every priest had to go by that altar. And as they walked through the, the door of the temple, on their right, on the north, was a table, and it had bread on it. It had 12 loaves. We could call it loaves. That's the way we call it. They didn't describe it that way. But it was 12 loaves of bread, and they called it the showbread. And it was placed there continually. That bread was not there just for show. You know, we got plastic bread we put in our houses sometimes. <laughs> that bread was not plastic. It was real. It was replaced every week. It was fresh every week. And it, it, it showed something. It showed a picture that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceeds out of his mouth. And so the priest was constantly bringing the bread in and symbolically consuming the bread. And by that, the Lord was giving us the picture that once we're redeemed and we come into God's house and we begin to serve Him, we only have power to do that and energy to do that as we feed on His Word. So I have to ask you again, how are you doing with your daily Bible readings? As we've tried to get back on track with that this new year and we're following God through His Word, only as you do that can you really serve the Lord the way you need to? Having tended to the bread, the priest would turn around, and on the south to his left was the candlestick. And there were seven lamps on that candlestick. And that, that lampstand was the only light in all the place. It lit up the whole room. And when you take God's word and you feed upon that, the entrance of his word, Psalm 119 says, gives light. And as the light comes on, it makes everything golden. Everything in the temple was covered with gold. The floors, the ceiling, the wall, everything. All the tables, the utensils, everything was covered with gold. And that was a picture of the, the glory of the inheritance of the saints. As you feed upon God's word and you walk in the light as he's in the light, you begin to see what your true treasures are, what the true riches are. You begin to see that everything you have in Christ makes you the richest person in this world. And the true riches are not those things you put in your bank. 
And you go spend in the store, but it's what God's put in your heart and what is reserved for us in heaven. And so the priest made his way through this, this room, God's house, in all of these ways. And this, this all brought him to a place of prayer. On the west side, straight ahead, there was the altar of incense that was on just this side of the veil that separated from the holy place and the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was and God's mercy seat was. And God said, that's where I dwell. I dwell right there on that mercy seat. He has a throne of grace. And the priest would come every single day and he would stand before that altar of incense and he would offer that and, and the incense would rise and would billow up and would waft into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. And he would stand there and he would pray. And he would pray for God's people. This is where uh, Zacharias was standing when the angel Gabriel appeared to him in the temple and told him he would have a son. He was standing right there and he was praying and the angel said, Fear not, uh, Zacharias, for your prayer has been heard. And you're going to have a son. He was praying for his wife. And he didn't know it, but he was actually praying for the, the whole country and the whole world because God was up to doing something. He was bringing John the Baptist into the world that would be a forerunner of, of the Messiah who would let everybody know who the Messiah was. God hears the prayers of his priest. And Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And he is praying for us every single day. Number one, Christ's prayers are permanent. And number two, Christ's prayers are powerful. Verse 25 uses this word, he's able. And in the original language, this is the, the word dunamis, and it's where we get our word dynamite. It sounds similar. That's where we get the word dynamite from. And it means earth-moving power, life-shaking power. And we could rightfully translate this sentence that he has power to save those to the uttermost because he's praying and interceding for them. So there's power in Christ's prayers. And this says that he is praying for those who are coming to him, and by that we understand that he's praying for everyone who's been saved. Everyone who has come to God through him, he is lifting them up in prayer. And that takes a lot of power. We, we can say a simple prayer and say, well, I, I pray for all God's people today. And that's easy. But this is not how Christ is praying. We're going to see that Christ's prayers are also personal. He's praying for us by name. His prayer list is a lot bigger than our prayer list. And that takes power to pray individually and personally for every single believer. He's got that kind of power. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And he's not only praying for us in the here and the now, but this verse 25 says that he is 
praying for us and he is interceding for us and able to save us to the uttermost. And that word means to the end of time. And so he literally is from the moment that we received him as our Lord and Savior and we cried out to him and asked him to save us. He turned to the Father and he said, Father, this one is coming to you and they're not worthy. They, they want to know you, but their sin separates them from you. But I have received them and I've died for them and I'm now asking you to receive them based upon receiving me. And I'm asking you now and forever to receive them. And I am interceding for them. And he does that beginning that moment that we're saved. And he continues to do that all the way to the end of time. And then when time gets away to eternity, he'll continue to do the same because he always lives to make intercession for us. What power he has. It's his power that makes the difference in prayer. And so if you lack power in your prayers then one thing you need to do is you need to study the prayer life of Jesus and you begin to pray like he does. You need to begin to pray for the things that he prays for. He is permanent with his prayers. He is powerful in his prayers. And then third, Christ's prayers are personal. This comes from the word intercession. This word means to personally pray for the needs of someone else that you know well. Now, there are different forms of prayer. There is adoration, that's praise to God. There is confession, when we admit our own faults to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. There's thanksgiving. We need to pray all those different kind of prayers. There's supplication, praying for our own needs. But when you begin to pray for somebody else's needs, you've gone to an, a different level. It is the most mature kind of praying. When you come before the Lord and you sacrificially lay aside your needs and you focus in on someone else's needs, things you know about them, things they need, and you intercede for them. That's the kind of prayers that are before us here. And the, the word intercession actually conveys that the person prays for someone else's needs because they've met with them and they know what's going on. And so you can only pray for someone else unless you really know what's going on in their life. And Jesus knows what's going on in your life. The Bible says he knows all the secrets of our hearts. The Bible says he knows all the words that we speak before we speak them. He knows the thoughts that we're going to have even before we have them. He knows when we went to bed last night. He knows when we got up this morning. He's got a calendar on his wall that's got every single day of our life all planned out. He knows you like no one else knows you. And based on that knowledge, he is bringing your needs before the Father on a regular basis. That's what intercession means. And intercession actually is a combination of two different words, and the main word actually means to hit the bull's eye. And so in your notes, that's why it says that Christ's prayers hits the bull's eye of your life. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what words to say. 
but Christ is up on high and he knows everything perfectly and he knows exactly what we need and he is interceding for us on target every single time. He hits the bullseye. That's why we need to not trust in just what we are saying and maybe what we're praying, but we need to rely upon what he's saying and what he is praying. In fact, if you hold your place right here, that's exactly how the Lord intends prayer to work. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. This is a, a key verse that elaborates on this aspect of prayer. Here, Paul is teaching us that when we don't know what to say in prayer, the Holy Spirit is given to help us. And the Holy Spirit actually prays with us and for us. And this is a part of Christ's ministry. This is the Holy Spirit's come from him into us. And this is how Christ intercedes for us. It begins with the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession, same word, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So you come to a point in life where you see a need and you don't know exactly how to convey it. You don't know all what to say. You say some words, but you just don't know if you're saying the right words. And you pray and you pray and you pray and things don't change and you wonder if you're off target or not. And this verse says that in those weak times, and we have those times often, so often, I, I just don't know what to pray. I don't know how to say it right. It's in those times when the Holy Spirit, who is within us, He comes alongside of us, and He says the words that we need to say. And He says it how we need to say it. We won't hear Him audibly. He says it's with words which cannot be uttered. But by faith we know he's doing that. And if we'll just be still before the Lord and by faith know that this is what's going on on high, then we can claim that prayer and benefit from that prayer. And our trust is what he's doing. And so Romans chapter 8, you look at the other verses, it says that the Holy Spirit knows what is the mind and the will of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit finds out what the will of the Father is and then he prays for us and with us and he brings it to Christ who's at the right hand of the Father. And Christ then, who knows the Father as well and knows what's going on in our life, he brings those two things together and he presents that before him. And he says, Father, on my behalf, I'm asking you to do this for your child. And that is the prayer that makes the difference. We may never know until after the prayer is answered and after God moves really what was being prayed. But by faith we can claim that prayer and we can say, Lord, let your will be done in my life as the Holy Spirit knows it needs to be done and as your Son is presenting the prayer up to you. May it be done. May your name be glorified. These are the personal prayers of Christ through intercession. And they make all the difference in our life. And then finally, verses 26 through 28, the writer of Hebrews shows us that his prayers are perfect 
Verse 26, he shows us that he's got a perfect heart that he prays from. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Sometimes you and I stumble and we get far away from God and our souls get weak and thirsty and it seems like our prayers has hit the ceiling. But that never happens with Jesus. It's never happened. It never will. And with his perfect heart, he's lifting up things that we need. And we can trust in that. Verse 27 says he prays with perfect sacrifice who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Christ is all in. No one sacrifices like him. And he prays in that same way. He prays with complete sacrifice. And he will stay at it until the prayers are answered. Verse 28 closes this section by showing us he prays with perfect words. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Everything he does is perfect. Every word he says is perfect. Every prayer he prays is perfect. His prayers are perfect. And that is what makes all the difference. For if you're here this morning and you're struggling in life and it seems like things are not moving, it seems like you pray for things for a long time and there doesn't seem to be any, any change, don't stop praying because Jesus never stops. He ever lives to make intercession. As long as he's alive, there's always hope. As long as he's looking over things and he is, he is working in our life and in other people's lives, there's always hope that things will turn around. So never stop praying. Don't trust primarily in what you're saying or what you're praying, but trust completely in what he's saying and what he is praying. And fix your eyes on him. Don't take your eyes off him. When I was younger, God gave me the ability to run fast. I am now older, and I do not have that ability any longer. Me and Donnie Seeley used to have a lot of things we could do out on the softball field we can't do any longer. <laughs> I see him sitting there laughing. <laughs> but when I had the ability to run, um, I used that to to uh, outrun others and do better in sports than uh, I could otherwise. But as I got older and my legs left me, I found that I had to begin to run on a regular basis, to run long distances, to keep up my energy and keep up my stamina. The only problem I had is that I do not like to run long distances. I like just to go those short and fast, get there first, Win the game, score the goal, whatever. That's it. But to get out there and run long distances, I didn't like at all. But I found I had to do that to stay in shape. Whereas I would run on, in long distances and get out there in my neighborhood and uh, just run, you know, 
for a long distance and get out on a long road, my body would begin to say all kinds of things to me. My body would say, what in the world are you doing? It would say, when are we going to be done? When are we going to go home? It would say, if you don't stop, I'm going to die. That's what it would say. My body just works against me constantly when I try to run long distances. And it's a battle. It's a difficulty. And there are times where (laughs) I literally feel like I may not make it through this if I keep going. But here's what I've learned I can do, and it makes all the difference. I'll focus on something in the distance where my destination is. And I focus on that target, and I just focus on that and don't think about anything else. I find that I can make it. I keep going until I get to the destination, then everything else is better. That's the way life is. If we're looking here and there and everywhere at all the things that are going on that bother us, we'll not do very well. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus and we just move towards Him, because that's where we're going, and we focus on Him in prayer, and we trust in Him through His prayers, we find that the journey gets a lot more bearable. We find that we can make it we find that when we get to our destination, just as Stephen did, that everything will be okay. Don't stop praying. You say, Pastor, I'm here this morning and I'm not saved. I haven't accepted Christ. Does Jesus pray for me? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 9, as he was praying to the Father, he said, I do not pray for the world. And so no, he's not praying for those who are unsaved. But here's what he's doing. He's waiting for you. And he's working to bring you to himself. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's what he's doing in your life right now. He's not out there trying to straighten out your life and smooth out the road for you and make it just as easy for you as as he can. He knows that's the way to get you to keep going down the wrong road. But he's working to turn you around, get you to come to him. And he says, whoever will come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And if you will come to him, he will save you. He will bring you to the Father and He will save you from all of your sins and then He will put you on His prayer list. And He then from that moment will never stop praying for you. As we bow our heads this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior? He's the one that you come to. You don't come to the pastor to be saved. You don't come to your mom and dad to be saved. You don't come to a friend to be saved. You come to Jesus. He is the only one who can save you. And if he's talking to you, if he is convicting you of your sins, you know it. And if he is drawing you to himself, then the next thing you need to do, if you understand what it means to be saved, is you need to say yes to Him. You do that in a simple word of prayer. 
You don't even have to say it out loud. You just open up your heart to him. He hears that. And you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner that needs to be saved. I'm sorry that my sins have separated me from you. I'm sorry that you had to die on the cross for me. But I accept you now. I accept what you did. Come into my heart. Save me, Lord Jesus. If you pray that prayer in your heart and you mean it, it's more than saying words, but you really mean it. You ask him to come into your heart. He will. And he will watch over you and pray over you and love you. And it will never stop. If you need to come to him this morning, this altar will be open in just a few moments if we have, as we have a time of invitation. And if you are here this morning and you are far from him, even as a believer, you just need to come back to him. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.